0: Just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers, it's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion, yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. You know, I really love this time of year. The holidays. It doesn't matter what kind of holidays you celebrate, it's a time when family and friends get together, enjoy their time together, have a meal together, tell stories, remember past holidays. You know, I've come to realize that uh, of all the things you can accumulate in your life, whether it be property or, or people that you know, uh, the most important thing you own is your memories. Those are the things that can take you back to a time that may be simpler, more pleasant, happier, or just moments in time that meant something important to you. Now, I told this story on TikTok, and I'll tell it here. People have always asked me, what was my favorite Christmas present? Well, as I think about it, there was no one Christmas present that I liked the most, whether it be when I was young or when I was older. Because that was never the important part of the holiday. And on this particular Christmas, it was in the mid sixties, I was about six years old, my brother was about five years old. We're living in south Minneapolis, and Christmas time was always the same for the two of us. We were close in age, so we we're close in our relationship. We did everything together. Mom dressed us the same, except in different colors. I always wore brown. He always wore blue. Same clothes, same outfits, though. It was really kind of annoying when when that was happening, but when you're five, six years old, you don't get a lot of choices as to what you wear. But anyways, during Christmas, it would always be the same way. My brother and I would get to bed early on Christmas Eve because we were excited about getting up early uh, for Christmas Day. And on this particular Christmas Eve, we went to bed early, as we did, woke up the next morning, woke up earlier than everybody else, we always did that, and both of us raced down the steps in our race car footy pajamas. I remember those. They were literally footy pajamas, you know, with the feet in them, and they had these little race cars on them. My brother and I thought they were the coolest things ever. I'd love to get a pair right now because my feet get so goddamn cold. Anyway, so we raced down the steps to see what Santa has left under the Christmas tree. And we weren't disappointed. We saw a lot of gifts there and we were excited. We were probably going to have to wait till mom and dad woke up before we started opening these things up. But it was cool to see what was sitting there waiting for us. But there was something else there. There was this ribbon on the ground. It was Christmas ribbon, and it was like it was rolled out across the floor, like somebody dropped it and it rolled out across the floor. My brother and I thought this was pretty weird. So we look at it a little bit closer, and as we notice it, there's a card attached to it, and on the card is an arrow pointing down the ribbon, obviously telling us to follow the ribbon. So my brother and I picked up the ribbon. We started following it, went through the living room, went to the dining room. There was another arrow that pointed us to the kitchen. We followed the ribbon and followed the ribbon, got in the kitchen. Then it said, go to the back door, followed it all the way to the back door. And then there's another arrow that pointed down the steps to the basement. Now, you have to understand, when you're five or six years old, this is pretty cool. This is pretty adventurous. This is pretty amazing. This really made it fun on Christmas morning. So, we follow the ribbon down the stairs. We have no idea what we're in for. We're excited as heck because we're young kids. It's Christmas morning. We know we've got some other gifts under the tree, but we got to find out what's at the end of this ribbon. So we follow the ribbon all the way down the stairs into the basement, and we take a look, and both my brother and I were amazed. It was glorious. It was this huge slot car racing set, and it was mounted on two separate pieces of plywood. I mean, it was huge. It was absolutely glorious. My brother and I were so excited. Every kid in the 60s wanted a slot car set, a race car set. It was the coolest thing you could ever get. And so we were very excited about this present. Now, if you were a young boy in the 60s and you got yourself a slot car set, as excited as you were about getting that slot car set, you know as well as I do that within five days, a week, maybe even two weeks on the outside, That shit would break down. Something would go wrong. It wouldn't work. The connections between the tracks would be messed up. The cars would be messed up, mainly because you ran it too fast and had it fly off the uh, track and into the wall. So after a week or so, it didn't run. And while I like the present, that wasn't the thing that stuck with me. You know, years later, I found out it wasn't Santa Claus who did that for us. It was my mom. And ever since that time, every year around Christmas, now my mom's gone, she died in 2010, but I always remember that Christmas morning and that experience because it wasn't about the present. It was about the time, the creat- creativity, the effort that my mom took to make that morning special, adventurous, fun, exciting. She thought about it. It was easy enough to put things under the tree, but that year, she wanted to give us a little adventure, and an adventure is what she gave us. My brother and I were very excited, and as much as that slot car racetrack was fun, and it only lasted a week, I think we both can say that experience hit a special chord with us. It's something I've remembered all my life, and I can see it in my head as it was happening. And that's when I realized that, you know, Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate, the gifts really aren't the important thing. The fact is, material things in general in your life aren't the most important thing. Because over the years, you accumulate material things. But in your last day, in your last minutes, all those things are either thrown in a dump or sold in a garage sale, as if they didn't matter. People might have had a piece of furniture or some knick-knack for 45 years, and it meant a lot to them. But in those last moments, it's nothing but garbage or somebody else's cheap trinket. So when you know that, why would you put any great effort into any material things? But the one thing you do maintain on those last minutes of your last day is your memories. And that's why I've always said your memories are the most valuable thing you own. Because nobody can take them away from you. They're with you till your last moment. And you also have the option to help others make memories. Your kids, your grandkids, your parents, your husband, your wife. That's where the really special gifts come. The memories you have that are special to you and the memories you help to provide to others that will be with them until the last moments of their last day. That's why I really enjoy the holidays, because it's an opportunity to bring family and friends together, have a meal, tell old stories, do fun things, make new memories. Every time I make a new memory that I can go back and think about when I'm having a rough day or a boring day or whatever, is valuable to me. It's something I own, I can bring up at will, and I can relive those moments in my mind and get that same sense of joy that I had when I was experiencing it. So for the holiday holiday season, I don't care what you get for gifts, but I hope you make some memories. And I hope you cherish those memories because they'll be with you for a long time. All right, let's talk about some news. Well, Robert Scott Palmer, who is from Florida, he was uh, at the January 6th insurrection. He was one of the trump He attacked law enforcement officers. He was the guy that wore a distinctive American flag sweatshirt with Donald Trump on it. Now, if you've seen the videos from January 6th, you've no doubt seen this guy because his coat really stood out. It said Donald Trump on it. And he was fucking nuts. Now, the thing about it is, is this guy got violent with the police. He struck police with wood planks. He hit a police officer with a fire extinguisher. He threw poles as if they were spears. I mean, this guy was aggressive and he was violent. Well, he got arrested. But the interesting thing about it is, is he didn't get arrested in the normal way. You see, the way he was caught was by some online sleuths, some amateurs, you know, those people online that can find somebody on a video and dig them out somehow, find a way to find out who they are, where they live, what they do for a living. Well, some online sleuths found this guy, and then they turned him over to the police. Now... This guy got arrested because he committed some serious crimes. He went on trial. He ended up um, pleading guilty, and then he wanted to go back and recant his guilty plea, and he was really playing games. His only defense was that, hey, look, I did these things, but the people who started it, meaning the Trump administration, the Republicans, the Trumplicans, you haven't charged them yet, so why would you charge us? Well that's a pretty weak defense and the judge told him so so when it came down to sentencing nobody was surprised that uh, she sentenced him the longest sentence of anybody of the insurrectionists to date to 63 months in federal prison that's 5 months or 5 years and 3 months in federal prison now originally his defense team was begging to get 2 years But apparently the judge found it egregious enough, and I guess when you beat cops with the intention of hurting or killing them, that's somewhat serious. So she gave him the maximum amount he could get, and that's five years and three months. So I doubt he'll be able to wear his flag coat and uh, his Trump insignia while he's in federal prison. He's going to have some time to think about this shit. But the point that he brings up, that the people who coordinate this and incited it have not been convicted or at least charged with anything as yet. That's got to make us think a bit. See, the thing is, this guy, as well as hundreds of other people, were convinced by Donald Trump, other Republican lackeys that were friends of Donald Trump, that this was the right thing to do. This wasn't illegal. This was you trying to save our country from, what, communism or some bullshit. And these people were stupid enough to believe it. They were stupid enough to put their freedom on the line and go into battle, literally battle, and do things that were highly illegal, like insurrection, like breaking into the U.S. Capitol, like damaging the U.S. Capitol and things in it, by urinating and defecating in the U.S. Capitol. These people thought they were doing the right thing. Well, you have to wonder what they're thinking now. Do they still believe that they were doing the right thing? Do they feel like they were betrayed by Donald Trump? I think most of them do feel like they're betrayed, and they're upset. But it's funny. I saw an interview with a gentleman, who was there on January 6th. He didn't attack the Capitol building, but he was taken in by Donald Trump. And they interviewed him on TV, and he said, yeah, in fact, I feel betrayed because Donald Trump didn't do anything that he promised to do. Oh, big surprise. Donald Trump is a consummate liar, a pathological liar, so why would this be a big surprise? But he seemed put off by what Donald Trump did. Now, the interviewer, when they were talking to them, assumed that, well, maybe he's gone totally off the Trump side and now come back to reality. But the funny thing is, as mad as he was about Donald Trump, he was still caught up in this big lie. The interviewer asked him, so you understand it's a big lie, that that didn't mean anything. And just like a Trumplican would do, he didn't answer the question he said something else about the Democrats. He diverted. He distracted. He, he, uh, gaslighted. So this guy may realize now that Donald Trump tricked him. He's still not taken off this whole thing about the big lie. He still bought into that, and that would likely be the same to this guy who's now being put in jail, federal prison for five years. Does he still believe the election was a fraud? Does he still believe in Donald Trump? I don't know. Maybe he believes Donald Trump's going to come back with JFK Jr., reinstall themselves as president and vice president, and they will pick him out singly, and they will pardon him. It wouldn't surprise me if that's what they believe. But you and I know that's all a bunch of bullshit, and it's just not going to happen that way. It's really, truly amazing how Donald Trump and the Republicans have literally brainwashed people. I mean, I wonder sometimes, is it just those people that are stupid that are taken in by it? Or was it something that he really did that changed people's minds, people that would normally be intelligent? I find that hard to believe. When you look at the lies and look at the ridiculousness, nobody in their right mind could possibly buy into that, but I don't know for sure. Certainly the dumb, the uneducated, the people that Donald Trump love, bought into it hook, line, and sinker, and now they're going off to jail for four and five years. We'll see how long they hold on to that. Now, I don't know if you heard, Donald Trump and Bill O'Reilly were going on a tour of uh, venues, fairly large venues, too. I don't know what they were going to do. I mean, here's two guys that have a long list of sexual harassment and sexual abuse. I mean, the, both these guys are fucking pitiful. Bill, Bill O'Reilly got fired from Fox News because they had to spend so much uh, protecting him from all the lawsuits and all the sexual assault claims. And then they fired him because he was too much of a liability. He was the most popular guy in Fox, but even still, he wasn't worth the risk because of all the bullshit that was going on around him, not to mention the fact that he's an arrogant asshole, a narcissist, not unlike Donald Trump. So Donald Trump, of course, likes Bill O'Reilly, and Bill O'Reilly, for whatever reason, I assumed he was a smart guy, but he's on board with Donald Trump. So you have to wonder, does he believe what Donald Trump believes, or does he see it's this one opportunity where he can grift some money because he can hop on the coattails of Donald Trump and do this humongous tour, make all kinds of money? Well, here's the funny thing. They made a couple of stops. In in particular, there was one location that held 20,000 people. I'm sure Donald Trump and Bill O'Reilly assumed that this place was going to be sold out. It was going to be the biggest event ever. There'll be millions of people trying to get in. There'll be people standing in the street, can't get in because it's so packed. Well, unfortunately for Donald Trump and Bill O'Reilly, only 5,400 people showed up out of 20,000. You see, Donald Trump's appeal is starting to dissipate. As more and more things come out about him, things that you can't deny, things that there are proof, like what's coming out in these texts with the select committee, he's going to lose support. Now, they may try to maintain the ideology of the stolen election and all this stuff, but over time, he has lost support, and he's losing support every day. At some point, nobody will even look to Donald Trump. In fact, Donald Trump has been endorsing people in primaries recently, and not one of those people has actually won the election. So how much is Donald Trump's support and endorsement really worth? Apparently, not much. People are getting tired of Donald Trump, even if they supported him. They're tired of losing. It's erotic. He always says, you'll get tired of winning. But Donald Trump has done nothing but lose since he entered office in 2017, and even now he's out of office, he continues to lose court cases. He's losing primaries. He's losing everywhere he turns. And people are slowly eroding off his bandwagon. At some point, not in the too too distant future, maybe after 2022, Donald Trump won't be a factor anymore in politics, because he'll be considered a liability by the Republicans. They will have thought they wrung everything they could get out of Donald Trump, and now he's not worth anything to them anymore. And the moment he's not worth anything to them anymore, this political business is a harsh one. They'll cast him aside like so much garbage. They will. In fact, they might even speak out against him, ultimately, because he is a liability. The right thing would be to do is speak out against Donald Trump. This is what's happening. As all these bits of information are coming to light, we've got all these investigations in New York, in Washington, D.C., in Georgia. As they come closer and closer to Donald Trump, the less and less people will want to be attached to him. But there's still people hanging on because they believe they can benefit from being next to Donald Trump, that they will get votes. And if they don't stay next to Donald Trump, he'll make it so they can't win. Well, that's been proven wrong because these primaries, three or four or five primaries, Donald Trump has endorsed somebody and they haven't won. So people are going to notice this and they're going to say, yeah, I really don't want Donald on my side because he's not important to us anymore. And that's how that business goes. The moment you are tainted, the moment you are of no value, you're gone. You're forgotten. Nobody cares. And that's when it's going to come down hard on Donald Trump. He's had a little bit of power since he's been out of office. He's had a lot of power while he was in office, and he's been able to protect himself. But when this all goes away, he's not going to be able to protect himself. He won't have the money. He won't have the ability to grift. He's just going to get taken down step by step, and the end result for Donald Trump is not good. I know it's not happening fast enough for a lot of you folks, but trust me, it's coming, and it's already starting to show. And as we see more come out of the insurrection investigation, out of Georgia, out of New York, it's going to get ever so closer to Donald Trump. And when it hits, his popularity is going to drop like a fucking rock because he is now a liability you just watch just watch because he's he's like every other narcissist they fly high they gaslight they bullshit they bully but it always comes to an end things start spinning out of control like we see right now and it always ends up with a horrific crash and then that person is just this pathetic failure that has nowhere to go and dies alone and dies broke. That's the future for Donald Trump. Mark my words on that. And when it happens, I'm going to come back and remind you. (laughs) Because it will happen. There's no chance he's coming out of this positively and better off than he was. Just not possible. All right, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back. So, have you been watching this Kim Porter trial? Former police officer Kim Porter. It's going on in downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now, you will remember that Kim Porter was the officer who made a traffic stop in, uh, what was it, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, just a suburb of Minneapolis. She was a field trainer. She had a trainee with her, a trainee cop. And they made a traffic stop now the reason they stopped this guy was because he had an air freshener on the rearview mirror and his tabs were past due well here's the interesting thing that uh, air freshener on the rearview mirror is a bunch of shit i live in minnesota and people all day every day have those things and they don't get pulled over And as far as the tabs go, yeah, you could get pulled over for that. But that was in the thick of COVID and people weren't able to get tabs. So they kind of backed off on pulling people over. Kim Porter even said that had she not had a trainee with her, they probably wouldn't have pulled this guy over. But they did. They pulled him over. The trainee walked up and is trying to do his job. And clearly he doesn't know all of what he's supposed to do. So it's kind of getting a little chaotic over there. So Kim Porter, the trainer, goes over and gets into the mix. And then somehow a third cop comes along in a different car, and now we've got three cops looming over Dante Wright, who has just been pulled over for jack shit. Now, what they're trying to do is they're trying to pull him out of the car, get him handcuffed, and do whatever he's going to do. I don't know what warranted pulling him out of the car and uh, handcuffing him. I don't know why a ticket wouldn't suffice, but apparently it didn't. There was talk that he may have had a warrant, so that may have figured into this thing. But still, the way it went up was way over the top. So now this young black man is out of the car, but now he's trying to get back into the car, and they're not liking it. They're feeling like This could be dangerous. Now, he didn't have a gun. He wasn't threatening anything, but he wanted to get back in the car. And the question is, why did Dante Wright want to get back in the car? Well, I don't know for sure, but I'd I'd take a guess. This traffic stop was happening during the George Floyd trial. It was going on the moment this happened. And I'm sure Dante Wright had been remembering that George Floyd complied, got out of the car, and then he was promptly murdered in the street by Derek Chauvin. You have to understand, young black men in cars, regardless of why they're pulled over, they have some fear, because this kind of activity has happened a lot. There was no indication that Chauvin was going to pay a price because the court case hadn't finished yet. So clearly, Dante Wright was probably nervous and figured he might be safer as long as he's staying in the car. Well, now these cops didn't want him to stay in the car, so it gets chaotic. Things go south. Kim Porter is the trainer, the experienced one, is leaning in between two cops, and she yells, Taser, 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 which is a signal that she's going to pull out a Taser and shoot Dante Wright. Now, The fact of the matter is, what we heard in the the trial was that she had long-range shells in the taser. So being two feet away, that made no sense to use the taser. It wasn't the right, right ammunition, given the circumstances. But she claimed she was going to use the taser by yelling, taser, taser, taser. But then somehow, somehow, she grabbed the wrong thing. She grabbed a Glock, a gun which is weird because the gun is on her right side, her dominant side. The taser is on her left side. The taser is a pound lighter. The taser's bigger and yellow. But somehow she thought she had the taser, and then she shot this young man and killed him. Now what's interesting is how she reacted the moment that happened. The other cop said, you shot him. And then she stepped back, gets upset, gets distraught, crying. She says, I shot him. And then she falls to the ground and starts whining about the possibility of her going to jail. This young man is dying from a gunshot from her gun. And she's worried about going to jail because she knows she fucked up. Now, did she grab the the gun by accident? I don't know. But... She did grab the gun, and she shot him so now she's on trial, and she's on trial for manslaughter, which is a much lower level crime than a lot of people think she should get, but I guess it's the logical thing there's no way to know for certain if she purposely intended to kill him, and if she didn't, then manslaughter would be more the the, the better choice in the charges she could have got. Now, it was interesting when she was in trial, the defense lawyer struck me as strange because he was elderly. He didn't seem to be hitting on all cylinders. I wasn't incompetent, but he was no powerhouse either. And I was thinking, you know, you're in a high-profile trial like this, you're going to want somebody sharper and better than this guy. Now, all the time she's talking to the defense attorney, she's crying, she's weeping, she's contrite. She's upset. She's so upset that uh, she has to take a few breaks. She has to stop. She just cannot take the stress anymore. So she takes the breaks. And then then the prosecutor comes in. And this prosecutor woman is much different than the defense. She's very buttoned down, very matter-of-fact, very straightforward, very calm. And she's asking Kim Potter questions. As they do when you have a prosecutor. Now, what struck me about Kim Potter in this situation was that her demeanor kind of flipped 180 degrees in a short period of time. Here's a woman who's distraught and upset and crying, but now when she's talking to the prosecutor, it's a lot different. There's a little bit of arrogance. She's evasive. She's very stone-faced. No emotions at all. None. None. How does she do that? She had all the emotions with the defense team, but not in the prosecution. Well, I can tell you part of why that may have happened. The defense lawyer probably told her that we need to make you more human. I mean, the fact that she's testifying is unusual. It's a risk. But they felt like they needed it in this situation, and they wanted her to relate to the jury, show that she's a person, a mom, a middle-aged woman with emotions, and she's contrite and sorry for this happening. In fact, she even said she's sorry that it happened. But now with the prosecutors, she's more straight-faced and more almost arrogant, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't know how to explain that, but it was totally different. Now, I'm sure the lawyer thought that her being emotional was going to help in order to connect with the jury. But I have another perspective of this, and something the jury and certainly the prosecution will consider. Here's a woman who's a police officer. She's training another police officer. She's been a police officer for 26 years. If when she was talking to the defense attorney, she breaks up under the stress and the pain and the sorrow and all this stuff, and she cries and she needs breaks. That could be a show for the jury, or that's her real personality. What I thought was funny is remember when she shot Dante Wright, she immediately stepped back when she realized she shot Dante Wright. She's upset. She's crying. I mean, you can barely control her. Then she falls to the ground, and she's crying even harder, and she yells about, I'm going to jail. Now, if I'm the prosecuting attorney, if I'm in the jury, I'm going to say, well, this poor woman, she's sad. But I also might say, well, she's a police officer, and she was in a chaotic, stressful situation with Dante Wright. And from what I can tell here from her testimony with the defense, and with her activities at the site right after the incident happened. Here's a woman that can't really handle stress very well. She breaks up and breaks down almost immediately. She's inconsolable. And if she is like that in that stressful situation, it's conceivable she'd pull out a gun and shoot somebody just out of reaction and without thinking. I think that tactic may work against them. I don't think the attorney was a great attorney, And I don't think when she testified, it did her any good. And they were hoping against hope that it would do some good in her her trial. But I don't think it will. Here's the thing. She's going to have to get the final verdict on the charges. I don't see her getting off because there's just no possible way. She pulled a handgun when she had, had a taser, but she is a veteran cop and she is a trainer. There's no reason in the world she should make that mistake. And most police officers that hear the story will say the same thing. There's no way you make that mistake, at least when you have it in your hand. Say you grab for the wrong thing. There's a totally different feel with the taser to the gun. She should have known at that time Or was it because she doesn't handle stress well? She's not thinking. She just reacted. She didn't think at all. Who knows? But the bottom line is that in the end, Dante Wright ended up dead for no good reason at all. Now, when I was watching her crying, I'm sure she was trying to get some emotion out of the jury or out of the people watching it on TV. And I can understand she is upset whether it be for Dante Wright or for the fact that she got cut I don't know which but she's clearly upset but the unfortunate thing in this trial we don't see how upset Dante Wright family is their entire family lost a loved one for virtually no reason at all and i can imagine they're upset too and shouldn't the jury know about how upset they are by losing their loved one But that doesn't show up in the trial. The whole thing is quite a mess. Kim Potter put herself in the middle of it. She acted horribly. And uh, it may cost her her freedom. Now, I think we're talking about 10 to 15 years on manslaughter if she goes away. And that will almost certainly happen. There's no other way this can end up. I mean, if she doesn't get convicted. There's going to be some problems in the street. Trust me about that. I live in Minnesota. I live in the suburbs of Minneapolis. There's going to be a lot of people that are pissed off. She's not going to do well if she is released. So the thing about it is, too, the one thing that helps it is there's video of the whole thing. The jury can watch the whole incident play out. The killing happen. So they know exactly what happens. But one of the reasons I think she needs to be taken to task and she needs to pay the price is because prior to videos, uh, video cams on cops or people on the street, how many times has a cop done something and killed somebody and then claimed to be having it accidental, having it uh, some, some mistake, and then the cop gets off? Of course, we don't know what really happened in those situations because they didn't have video back then. So maybe this asshole cop just decides to shoot somebody and says, hey, it was a mistake, and he gets off. Can you imagine how many times that may have happened around the country over the last three or four decades? I'm afraid to even think about it. So it's about time when something like this happens, these cops don't get off. They pay a price. And the reason that's important is because hopefully that's a message to other cops to stop doing that shit, because that's the one thing we need to do is stop police from shooting people on the street. It's as simple as that. So we'll see what happens with the Kim Potter trial. We'll keep you posted here on the podcast and on TikTok. Of course, you'll see it in the news and all that kind of stuff. But um, it looks like it'll go to the jury and we should have some kind of verdict very shortly. And we should watch it very closely because it may have some bearing on how people react after the verdict comes down. All right, I want to talk about something that I don't think people talk about as much with Donald Trump. They talk about all the crimes in Washington, D.C., with the insurrection, the money crimes, the business crimes in New York, the election uh, coercion crimes in Georgia. That's all hanging over his head. But there's something that came out with the House Oversight Committee recently. They released a report detailing efforts of Trump officials to undermine COVID-19 efforts in the United States. Trump administration officials made deliberate efforts to undermine the nation's coronavirus response. And they did it for political reasons. Now, this isn't something we don't know. But after an investigation, there's proof now that it actually happened. We all assumed this happened. And the reason it was for political reasons is because Donald Trump saw it as a bad thing in this country, and it was, it is. And he thought it would affect his election in 2020, that he'd be blamed for the coronavirus. Now, it might have affected his election, certainly. It certainly did affect his election, in fact, in 2020, negatively. But Donald Trump is like a child. He's a narcissist. He thinks, look, if we say it doesn't happen and just ignore it, maybe we won't get blamed for it. Well, he had no idea what he was walking into because he called it a hoax. He did nothing about it. He threw away the the book on how to deal with it. He fired all the people on the committee to contend with it. And he just did nothing. Zero. Now, I heard a story once. And this may tie into this whole idea of undermining the COVID-19 response. I don't know if this story is true, but when you think about the characters involved in it, you could see how it's possible. Apparently, Jared Kushner, who was handling a lot of the COVID stuff for Donald Trump, and this fucking kid doesn't know jack shit from jack shit. The only thing he has was a formerly rich Father in law and a father who was rich for a time and also spent time in prison. So his uh, role models aren't very good. But he came under the supposition that the coronavirus, not knowing how bad it would get, would affect mostly the urban communities because there are more people and they're closer together. And he considered that those urban areas are more likely to be blue than red. And if they did nothing and it ended up causing people in the blue areas to get sick and die, so what? That's just going to help us in the election. Seriously, that's the report I heard. And sadly, I can believe it. I think it was more that Donald Trump didn't want to recognize coronavirus so it wasn't going to be attached to him during the election. But here's the ironic thing. Now that he didn't do anything... This thing got to be way bigger. More people died because of his inaction, his negligence, his criminality. And then it got away from him. He waited too long. He didn't do anything. And now all of a sudden we have 800,000 people dead in this country from a pandemic. And we're still, still going into the third year, still dealing with it now with Omicron. And now, of course, they're trying to blame Joe Biden for it. But the fact of the matter is it should have been wrapped up and done by the time Joe Biden took office. But Joe Biden was stuck with it. Donald Trump got the vaccinations initially, but he didn't do anything to distribute them. So it was doing no good. Joe Biden gets in. He makes sure they get out and get to everybody that was going to take it. And it obviously had done quite a bit of good. Here's the ironic thing, though. Donald Trump was afraid of admitting that the coronavirus existed because he was afraid it was going to hurt his election and hurt future situations with Donald Trump. The ironic thing is now he comes out, speaks against masks and vaccinations, even though he is vaccinated and everybody that follows him doesn't want to be vaccinated. And now the people that are unvaccinated are the ones getting sick, going to the hospital and dying. Guess what? They're losing Republican votes. The exact opposite of what Jared Kushner was suggesting and Donald Trump believed. Now they're losing Republican voters every fucking day by the thousands because of their tact with the coronavirus. But my point of this is when you look at this and you see Donald Trump, This is really his biggest crime. He's pretty much locked down this country, changed everything about this country, allowed 800,000 people to die, and more coming. Then we could be over a million with Omicron. He's just let it happen. And nobody's charging him with a crime. We're talking about Kim Potter being charged with manslaughter. She might get involuntary manslaughter, meaning she didn't mean to do it, but she did it. If this isn't a perfect example, at the very least, of involuntary manslaughter or negligence, I don't know what is. Now, whether he'll ever be indicted for it, doubt it. I doubt it. But in realistic terms, Donald Trump has been a criminal since he started in 2016. He's broke a lot of laws, but this one... This one takes the cake. Never have you ever heard of a president killing 800,000 people, ruining the economy, shutting down the country, because he decided to do fucking nothing. All these people who kept telling me, oh, well, here's the deal. He doesn't get paid every year. Well, frankly, on the things he didn't do, he didn't deserve to get paid anyway. In fact, the last couple of payments the last year he did take his money cuz he fucking needed it All right now the um, Now the last thing I wanted to bring up you remember Michael Cohen Donald Trump's former lawyer he was sent to jail for participating in one of Donald Trump's crimes Uh, Michael Cohen was paying hush money to Stormy Daniels because of an affair that Donald Trump had, and they wanted to uh, keep it out of the news. So Donald Trump committed the crime. Michael Cohen paid it because he was the lawyer. When the court case came down and Michael Cohen was convicted... Donald Trump was regarded as an unindicted co-conspirator. And why wasn't he? Well, because he was president of the United States, and they weren't going to do that to a president. Now, after about a year, Michael Cohen was released. He was released early. And it was because of all this COVID stuff, the crowding in the jails and the COVID spreading all over the place. So they said, we're going to release you. We're going to put a ankle bracelet on you, and you're going to be in house uh, arrest. you got to stay in one spot. Well, that was better for Michael Cohen, so he does that. But then two weeks later, the DOJ comes back and says, no, Michael Cohen's got to go back to jail. That's weird. COVID hasn't wrapped up. Nothing has changed. Why would they do that? Well, I'll tell you why they will do that. Because Michael Cohen, two weeks later, announced he had a book coming out that was going to expose Donald Trump and the Republicans. So Donald Trump had the DOJ in his pocket, which is exactly the opposite of what a president should do with the DOJ, and he had the DOJ go back and put him in jail. It was retribution. There was no law against Michael Cohen writing the book. There was no reason for the DOJ to grab him back up and put him in jail. But that's what they did. And that in itself is probably illegal. After a time, it went through the federal courts and appeals court, and they let Michael Cohen back out. And he's out to this day. Well, now, Michael Cohen's kind of upset about this. He sees the injustice in all of it. And now Michael Cohen is suing Donald Trump, the DOJ, William Barr for false imprisonment, for taking away his civil rights or whatever. This is just another in the long list of lawsuits for Donald Trump. It's one more for William Barr. And it'll be interesting to see when and if it goes to court and if Michael Cohen wins. If it goes to court, he should win because it's pretty clear what Donald Trump did. And what Donald Trump did was fucking illegal. Uh, But that's just one of many things that Donald Trump has done that's illegal. The shit show continues. (laughs) And we'll be here every day on the Rational Boomer podcast to uh, relive the shit show for you. That should be exciting, shouldn't it? (laughs) Anyway, if you have questions or comments, send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm. Check for the Rational Boomer podcast and you can leave me a voicemail message. Always love to hear from you. We're going to wrap it up for tonight. We'll talk to you again real soon thanks for listening to the rational boomer podcast don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode we'll see you next time